Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you today. Great for us to be here together today. What a beautiful day outside. If you're visiting with us, we're so thankful that you're here. We hope that you will be encouraged and instructed by the worship today and the things that are taught and the songs that we've sung and the prayers that are brought before our Lord and Savior. And if you are visiting with us, we hope you'll fill out a visitor's card. Before you leave, just sit it, leave it on the seat. And if you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us teach or say, please ask us. We're just trying to be the church that we all are supposed to be according to what we read in the scriptures. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. So hope you'll be with us and when you have the opportunity, come back and be with us again. Hmm. You might wonder what the title is about, but if not, but if not, three words that held great meaning, <clears throat> that held great meaning, helped rescue approximately 338,000 British, mostly British troops off the beaches of Dunkirk between May 22nd and June 4th, 1940, during World War II. This was before the United States entered the war, which would have been late, almost at the end of that year. But there they were. The British Expeditionary Force, as it was called, sent into Europe across the English Channel into the basic, all of the areas of Europe where the German army was attacking and conquering. They were sent there to stop the German army. But by May 26th, almost 350,000 British troops in that expeditionary force had been backed into a box by the German army. German soldiers surrounded them on three sides, and the ocean, the British Channel, was to their backs. There was no possible military naval rescue for that many British soldiers. The ships just weren't available. And so a British commander at Dunkirk, at Dunkirk was communicating with another British officer back in the military headquarters in England. And probably the question from the headquarters in England was something along the lines, and what I've read at one particular point was, do you have a plan B? If we can't get you out, what are you gonna do? Do you have a plan B? And the British commander at Dunkirk basically indicated, we're here, we're waiting. If you can come, that's great. And then he sent a simple message that would be understood, he assumed, by the man back in military headquarters in England, and he simply said, but if not. And that was the extent of his response. Those simple three words. The meaning of those three words, amazingly to us in our time, was immediately understood. The British Navy put out a call. The British people responded. They understood the meaning of those words as well. And it was not just whatever number of military naval vessels came toward the beaches at Dunkirk, and they were few by comparison. 
Again, there were not enough to rescue all of those soldiers with the German army bearing down upon them, trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk. But private citizens, private citizens in basically anything that could float came to volunteer, we'll go, we'll go. Hundreds of private boats from just fishing vessels to private yachts, whatever, almost anything that would float, volunteered to make the treacherous journey because the British Luftwaffe, their air force, was strafing the boats that were crossing the British Channel and then to Dunkirk and then back again to England, rescuing as many soldiers as they could get on their boats. But remember, there were 350,000 of them, but they volunteered in response to that one three-letter message, but if not, from the commander at Dunkirk. About 338,000 of the 350,000 were rescued. Amazing. Where did those three words come from? What did they mean? Why was there such meaning attached to them, understanding immediately on the part of headquarters back in England and a part of the British people as a whole. They knew what those words meant. And that's rather amazing to me. Because if you were to go to England right now and utter those three words, I'm not sure you'd have more than maybe a handful, if that many would know what they were talking about. They come from Daniel chapter 3 and verse 18. God had allowed Israel to be conquered by Babylon because of Israel's unfaithfulness to God on a repeated, extending, extended, going on for decades and decades, their unfaithfulness to God, turning to idols, still saying we believe in God, but worshiping idols at the same time. God warned them over and over again. He would allow enemies to come in and, and defeat them in battle, taking away some of their treasures and so on over time. But ultimately, because they continued to persist in that kind of unfaithfulness, God finally said, that's it. The prophecies had gone back all the way to Moses during the wilderness wanderings. If you do not stay faithful to God, if you start worshiping the idols of, of the people around you, when God leads you into this promised land, then ultimately... God will let them overtake you and you will be taken out of your place in this land. In other words, you're going to be dispossessed from this land. The land that God had promised to them through the, their forefathers going all the way back to Abraham. He fulfilled that promise. But Moses repeatedly warned them, you do not have anything to do with these people who are in the land that God is giving you because they don't believe in me. They don't worship me. They're idol worshipers. And if you start developing relationships with them, particularly intermarrying with them, they're going to lead you away from me. They're going to lead you to start worshiping their idols. And if you do that and you do not repent, then ultimately God will remove you from this land that he is ready to give to you. Amazing. We look at four men, and particularly I want to focus on three of them. They were captives among the Israelites. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had led his army, and God gave them the victory over Israel. 
and in stages defeated Israel, put it under their control, and ultimately went in and utterly annihilated the city of Jerusalem, and by that I mean tore it apart, and took all of the people of the land of Israel, with the exception of a few elderly and infirm people, removed them literally from their land and brought them into captivity in foreign lands. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Now, again, due to their unfaithfulness, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Nebuchadnezzar and his army did not defeat Israel, did not dispossess those people from their land on their own power. God used them as a tool of judgment to bring discipline, to bring judgment upon and hopefully shake the people of Israel to their senses because they had for so long a period of time been unfaithful to God. Does it remind you of any kind of situation in the world, in our land right now? I think we should have pause for thought. Beginning with verse 3 in Daniel chapter 1. Then the king instructed Ashpenar, and this is, the, Israel had been defeated, captives had been removed from the land, and so the king, he instructs one of his aides, Ashpenar, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language of the Chaldeans. You see, the Jewish people needed to learn a new language. They were captives now in a different land. And the king appointed for them three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Well, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were Israelite captives chosen to be trained to serve the king. In verse 17, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, if you read through the text, you'll find that Nebuchadnezzar had a particularly puzzling dream. None of his wizards, none of his soothsayers, none of his magicians, none of his wise men were able to in, not only interpret the dream, they couldn't even tell him what he had dreamed. He was going to put them to the test. He would not even tell them what he had dreamed. He simply said, tell me what I dreamed and then tell me the interpretation." And they said, that would be impossible. We can't do that. Daniel then was called. And Daniel told him what he had dreamed, and then he gave him the interpretation. But that's a separate story, separate account. Now, we look a little bit further in verses 19 and 20. The king interviewed them. 
and this is going back to before they were given their particular position of service in the palace. And so the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. Now, they stood out, these four, Jew, or four Israelite captives, they stood out among all of the people from all of the, uh, all of the provinces and even native Chaldeans whom, whom the king interviewed. To be, service, to, to be servants within the palace. So therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Now why? Because God gave them that knowledge and skill. Verse 17. Well, Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they had their names changed to what we are more familiar with according to where they were. Their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Daniel's name was changed also, but he's really not the focus of this particular account. His name was changed to Belteshazzar. But Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had their names changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And again, those are the names that we're more familiar with when we think about this particular account and what happened with these particular men. Along the line, we're not told how many years after they had been appointed as service to the king, but they had been doing that for some time, working in the palace, serving the king, because again, he found them 10 times better, wiser than everybody else who would be in that position within all the kingdom. Somewhere along the line, Nebuchadnezzar had constructed a 90-foot tall, approximately. It gives the, the, the dimensions in cubits, but it would be about 90 feet tall, an image of gold, and he required all of his kingdom to bow before and worship that image. There's idol worship. You talk about taken to an extreme, 90 feet tall. And he said, everybody, upon a given signal, they are to worship this, they're to bow down, drop down, and, and worship this image, this golden image. We assume it was probably an image that they assumed would be recognizable by the people of, of Babylon and the kingdom as to the idol that they were worshiping, or at least one of them. One particular writer suggested it might have been an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. And he was requiring his subjects to worship him through that image. But we don't know that for sure. But think about that. Now, here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that particular setting. Chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And verses four through six, a herald cried aloud, and this is to all the people of the kingdom, the empire, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, because Nebuchadnezzar had conquered other lands as well. And so 
all you peoples and nations and languages that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, so it would be a big demonstration, it would be a big call to worship, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So if you do not worship, it's going to be summary execution in a torturous way. You're going to be thrown into the midst of this furnace that is burning with fire. And you're going to be burned to death. That was quite an instruction, quite a warning. And so most everybody in the kingdom apparently went along with it. But here come some finger pointers. Here come some tattletales. Now maybe they were simply speaking out to try to honor the king, or maybe they resented the positions that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego held within the kingdom. You know, we don't know, that's speculation. But here they come, and they come to the king. Verses 12 and 13, chapter 3. There are certain Jews, they're telling the king, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods, all of the idols of the land that they were worshiping, they do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Now notice the response of Nebuchadnezzar the king. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. They're going to be confronted and challenged. Verses 14 and 15. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he has some knowledge of these men, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? And then he lays out a condition for them. If you are ready at, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have set up, good, good. You're excused. You're exonerated. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, and here's a challenge from Nebuchadnezzar to God himself and how arrogant this was. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You don't worship my gods. You don't worship that golden image. Now let me tell you what's going to happen, fellas. If when you get the signal, all of these different musical instruments being played, prayed, uh, played to call the people to worship that golden image, and you do not fall down before him, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace and tell me, and basically make it more personal, more direct, do you think your God is going to deliver you from my hands? I have the power to execute you summarily. Do you think your God's going to deliver you? Now, Ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar was putting himself up higher than God in power. 
And so he's really challenging. He's trying to manipulate. He's trying to intimidate Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, what is their response? To the arrogant challenge against God and his power to deliver these faithful men from the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pulled no punches. They did not beat around the bush. They absolutely refused to obey the king's command to worship his golden image. And here's their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, and again, they didn't beat around the bush. They didn't couch language. They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this, for, in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom, is, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. And so they exhibited absolute confidence in the power of God in response to Nebuchadnezzar's challenge of God as to whether he had the power to deliver them from his hands, Nebuchadnezzar's hands. We have absolute confidence. We, we know, there's no question in our mind that our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But they weren't finished. The next verse, and there's those three words that were the inspiration of the English people back at Dunkirk hundreds, thousands of years later. The three words that that British commander at Dunkirk communicated back to headquarters in England, but it was not unique with him. And he knew it was not. Headquarters knew what they meant. He knew what he was communicating. And apparently the people of England overwhelmingly understood exactly the message. And it came from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 18, they said, but if not, they were addressing Nebuchadnezzar. We have confidence our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. We have confidence that he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, but if he does not deliver us, if he does not see it proper to deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You will not intimidate us. You will not manipulate us. You will not scare us into disobeying and being disrespectful of the only true God. If not, O king, we will not serve your gods. We will not bow down to and worship that image of gold that you have set up. We don't have the time to read verses 19 through 30, the rest of the chapter. But God delivered them. Now the text tells us that in response to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to the king, when they said, we will not 
We know God can deliver us. We have confidence God will deliver us. But if not, we will not serve your gods. We will not bow down to that gold image and worship it. And the text says that Nebuchadnezzar was in such a rage. He was so angry that he instructed some mighty soldiers of valor to heat up that fiery furnace seven times its normal heat and to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into that furnace. And the text tells us that the flames were so hot that the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and threw them into the midst of that fiery furnace, they were killed in the process themselves. But Nebuchadnezzar somehow was able to look into that furnace and he saw not that these three men were consumed by the flames, but that they walked about as though nothing was amiss. He asked some of his aides, did we not throw three men into the, into the furnace? And they said, it's true, O king, three men. He said, there's four in there. One, and from his perspective, like the son of God. Now, was that truly God the son sent from heaven above? Or was it an angel sent from God above? But God did exactly as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego expressed their confidence to King Nebuchadnezzar that he could do and that he would do. And when they opened the door to the furnace and, call, and he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out. The text tells us not only were they spared, but it says their hair was not singed. Their clothes showed no sign of ever having caught fire. And in fact, it says that there was not even a trace of a scent of fire or heat upon them. God had so totally protected them. So totally protected them. Now I want us to learn two lessons from this particular account. These two historical accounts. One from Daniel chapter 3. That was the impetus for the other account at Dunkirk thousands of years later in the earlier years of World War II. Two lessons. First is we need to always be strong in the Lord. Always. Always we need to never give up. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 and 11, the apostle Paul wrote, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Be strong in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 57 and 58 at the end of that incredible text of scripture that talks about the resurrection. Both of Jesus and of us on that final day of judgment. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Stand fast, not on your own strength alone, but you stand fast in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Never give in to the devil. Never, ever. Lesson two, never give up. Don't ever, ever let the devil win in your life. Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful until death if necessary. Jesus said, and I will give you the crown of life. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. We know our Lord can deliver us from your hand, from the fiery furnace. We know and we have confidence that he will. But if not, if he chooses not to on this particular occasion, we will not let you win. We will not let the devil win. We will not give in and become unfaithful to our God just to save our physical lives. No, we will not. Paul said in Ephesians 4 and verse 27, nor give place to the devil. And he was saying essentially that, never let the devil into your life. Don't give him any space therein. The British commander at Dunkirk, the recipient of the message at headquarters in England, and the English people at large apparently knew the scriptures well enough to understand the meaning behind the message. The British army, we're waiting for you to rescue us, but if not, we will stand our ground against the German army. We will stand our ground. And what was their inspiration? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. At the threat of torturous, brutal, inhumane execution, stood their ground against the king who threatened them. We will not give in. I want us to think about a further lesson. Reading some, one of the accounts indicated that in the days gone by, the British people were used to hearing the scriptures read to them regularly as they would come together to worship God. And that was why they understood what those three words meant the meaning behind them, but if not. And so when that commander at Dunkirk communicated those three words back to military headquarters, and they would have been three words that probably the German commanders would not understand the meaning of, the people arose. They responded. They got into their own boats and they started across the channel to pick up as many soldiers as they could. Somehow, for some reason, and historically, the, still the speculation is there, why did the German army not go ahead and close in on them? They had them. Imminent annihilation was apparent of those British soldiers. But for some reason, for a few days, they, the German army paused 
and the response of the British people and what Navy was available, they rescued almost all of the 350,000 soldiers. Nebuchadnezzar, when he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of that furnace, the text tells us, and he saw their hair was not singed, their clothes were not burned at all, there was no even evidence of smoke or heat upon them anywhere. He sent out another proclamation to all of his kingdom. And he said, basically, if anyone does not respect the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that person will be executed themselves. Nebuchadnezzar came to understand and develop some degree of faith in God himself. I wonder, my understanding of the, of the Christian quote-unquote situation in England and most of Europe right now, they would not know what those three words meant. You have all of these old stately historical cathedrals dating back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, but they're largely pretty much empty. Maybe some tourists go inside from time to time, but as far as the native peoples of Europe themselves, it's become a very secularized society. Are we going in that direction today? Are we going in that direction? We need to stop and think, we need to be absolutely strong in the Lord. Not just verbally, but faithful until death. And even unto death, if that's necessary. Never let the devil have a place in our lives. Never let him scare us or intimidate us through other people to become in any way less than absolutely, totally, 100% committed to be faithful to our God in service, in dedication, in obedience. If you need to come to your Lord this morning in repentance of your sins, confessing your faith openly in Christ as your Savior, ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins, now is the time if you understand what you need to be doing. If you don't know, if you need to study some more, we will study with you and help you understand if you'll just ask us. If you need the prayers of the church, maybe you've gotten off base a little bit and you need the prayers for forgiveness and strength, we're here, please step forward in any of these cases and let us know. Remember those three words. Whatever the devil throws at you, whatever life in this world throws at you, it may happen. You, this may happen to me. I may have to deal with this or this or this, but I know God can deliver me. I know my Lord can see me through and he can deliver me from whatever happens. But if not, if he allows me to die, then I'll just be with him in heaven. And that will be the ultimate reward.
but if not. Three words of absolute faith, absolute commitment. If you need to come, come now as we stand together and sing.